Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. Hello, my friends. On this episode of the Swallow Pride podcast, we have Ashley Michaelis, and I will get to her bio in just a second. But first, I wanted to thank you all for tuning into this podcast. We have just about hit 4 million downloads, which is totally, totally crazy. It really hasn't even sunk in yet, but uh, this is also our last episode for 2022. So I'm hoping to do a big giveaway. We'll probably do a big giveaway over on Instagram in the new years, but I just wanted to first and foremost say thank, thank you. Thank you all of you who tune in each week, who write in your suggestions for people to come on, for people who volunteer to come on. Um, this is is purely driven all by you. And I cannot thank you guys enough. Um, this was just a silly little idea that I started a few years back. And I'm so grateful that it's so beneficial to all of you and that you find so much value out of it and that it's just helped so much, so many patients. And that's really the sole impetus that keeps me doing this. So thank you. Thank you again. Um, and as I said, this is our last episode for 2022. Uh, we usually take the last few weeks of the year off to let our team enjoy some downtime with their holiday. So I hope you'll take the time to catch up on some previous episodes if you haven't. I'm so excited for some episodes that we've got coming out in January and February. Uh, we've got an amazing lineup that that we've just um, got scheduled. So I'm really excited. Uh, hope all of you have a peaceful, restful, safe, healthy, happy holiday season, whatever holiday you celebrate. And I can't wait to catch up with all of you in January. So uh, thank you again. I cannot thank you all enough for your support. Um, And I'll chat with you in the new year. So Ashley Michaelis began her undergraduate degree in voice performance and music education at Case Western Reserve University and the Cleveland Institute of Music. She encountered her own voice difficulties during her studies, and as a result, she found the field of speech-language pathology. She decided that she wanted to help others rehabilitate their own voices and switch majors. She then completed her graduate degree at the University of Wyoming. She has worked in a variety of settings, including outpatient, inpatient rehab, acute care, and multidisciplinary clinics. She recently transitioned to owning her own private practice, Empowered Voice Rehabilitation, in order to have more flexibility and better work-life balance. She's an ASHA ACE Award recipient, a mentor for the MedSLP Collective, and an ASHA STEP mentor. In her free time, Ashley loves to spend time with her family and dogs, as well as perform with local community theaters.
Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. All right. Good afternoon, Ashley. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. I know I've gotten to know you over the last few years and I just, you're a gem of a human. So I'm, I'm so excited to have you on and have people hear a little more about you. So um, tell the people who you are. Uh, my name is Ashley Michaelis. I am a certified speech language pathologist and I've been a speech language pathologist for a little over 10 years now. I have worked in a variety of settings over the course of my career from pediatric private practice to outpatient rehabilitation to inpatient rehabilitation, acute care, multidisciplinary clinics, and now private practice. Yay. Awesome. And what are you specializing in in your private practice? So my private practice is a specialty private practice that um, is specifically for um, voice, swallowing, and upper airway disorders, as well as neurogenic communication disorders. But my real passion is voice. And that comes from the fact that I actually started out my undergraduate degree as a vocal performance major and ended up with my own voice problems and kind of found the career path of speech language pathology that way. And so I have a real passion for that and have grown to love some of the other areas as well. (laughs) But um, I really, really am passionate about voice. Yeah. I think, you know, it's so funny. So um, in the the MetaSLP Collective, Ashley is a voice mentor for us. But I think what was so funny is for the longest time, I didn't even realize that voice was your jam. Like you, you are just, you are one of those multi-passionate generalists that you're so strong in so many areas. And then when our team said, oh, we should bring Ashley on as a voice mentor, I was like, voice, really? And I just, cause you're just so strong in so many other areas. And I, and I want to compliment you on that because I, that's so tough. That's so hard, but Ashley, I'd love if you could just sort of take us a little bit more behind the scenes of of how your careers transpired. Because I, you know, I, I've known you for probably what four or five years now, and you've done so much. You, you're just immersed in so many different settings, and, I, and I'd love to really hear how it's unfolded for you. Yeah, um, I think it's really funny. I never envisioned myself going into the medical field, although I probably should have. <laughs> um, <laughs> My father is a, or was a physician. My mother was an oncology nurse. Okay. And I grew up in a family of medical professionals. And I think that was why I kind of initially 
ran to the arts. (laughs) And um, when I got into speech language pathology, though, I really felt drawn to the medical side of things and was very, very adamant that I didn't want to work in a school. I didn't want to work with kids. And so I had chosen some of my externships based on that and ended up in a really bad externship situation because while I was working in a particular setting, I, my grandfather actually ended up getting admitted to the floor that I was working on with a, um, essentially a terminal brain tumor. And I had requested to be moved off that floor to another floor and was told that if I couldn't separate my personal and professional lives, that I should not be a speech language pathologist and that my supervisor was going to fail me if I couldn't get it together. And so at that point, I really actually almost left our field altogether. (laughs) I wasn't even, I hadn't even graduated yet. And, um, I, I was just so hurt by that entire situation, yeah. Yeah. especially because my grandfather ended up passing away while I was there and I had to finish out my time at that placement. And I had taken this to my clinic supervisor at the university and tried to kind of get them to help me out. And I really got no support. And so I moved into my clinical fellowship year and decided I was going to go do pediatric private practice just to get away from it. (laughs) Um, Because I was like, I don't know if this is really for me. I just, everything has been so bad. I I don't know if I can do it. I was already burnt out and I hadn't even really been in the field. (laughs) And that ended up not being a good place for me to be either. (laughs) But it was just kind of a I need to do something with myself for this year to get myself through my CF. And after I got out of that and moved back to kind of the medical side, working in outpatient rehabilitation, I really made it my mission at that point to make sure that other graduate student clinicians did not have the same experience that I did. And I worked really hard to try to find good mentors because I just didn't have access to that. And I really struggled to do that at that point in time. And so I was essentially mentoring myself, which I really don't recommend for anyone in our field. Um, It's not a good idea, but I, that's, that's what I ended up doing for a while. And then I, I eventually found MedSLP Collective, which was just a lifesaver for me as far as what I had been looking for, for positive support in my career that could help me grow. From the time that I was kind of moving out of graduate school and into the clinical fellowship year, I just knew that at some point down the line, I wanted to be able to teach at the university level and like really help those graduate student clinicians. So at that point in time, I kind of set myself a very long-term goal of being able to teach, particularly voice disorders at the university level. And I thought, oh, this is like 20, 25, 30 years off. Like, I'm, you know, it's just a really long-term achievement that maybe someday I'll get to. And 
eventually I had worked in some of these different settings and I was working um, up in Vermont at the University of Vermont Medical Center. And I was approached about teaching at the University of Vermont, their voice disorders class. And it just kind of blew my mind that I could achieve that goal so early <laughs> in my career. And I almost turned him down because I was like, am I really ready to do this? Like, do I have enough knowledge? I don't, I don't really know. Thankfully, I had some really good supportive um, people in my accountability group that really pushed me to pursue that. And it was such a good experience for me um, to be able to kind of meet that goal. And that has then allowed me to move into other areas that I didn't really even realize I wanted in my career prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. I love that so much for you, Ashley. So thank, thank you for sharing that. I know that's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that so many SLPs, I think that's what so many SLPs experience it. You know, it's sort of like you've worked for, you know, five, six, seven years and you're sort of starting to get a hang of it. Like, I think it was like maybe five years when I was like, okay, I think I sort of know what I'm doing now. Like, <laughs> but it's sort of, you, you sort of just cross that threshold of like, okay, I sort of figure out what I'm doing now. And then you're asked to teach a grad class. And I totally, totally get that, that imposter syndrome, but I'm so glad that you did that. And I know you know, just from your knowledge standpoint, I, I know that you have so much to offer, but just from your, your experiences too. And I think that's something that all of us in the field want to do is sort of put our mark on it and leave it better than we found it. So I love that you were able to do that and, and sort of talk about some of your experiences that weren't so positive in the past. And, you know, I'm sorry you went through that, but, um, you know, I know, I know you've used that for good. So thank you. Yeah. And while I was working up in Vermont, unfortunately, that was when, the pandemic also hit. So we had moved up there about a year before the pandemic really got going. And I was working there in the hospital and the pandemic hit and then I got pregnant. So I was pregnant during the pandemic and working in the hospital. And it was, and also teaching this graduate class And it really became just so much. And I know that that pandemic was so hard and so difficult for so many of the individuals in our field for so many different reasons. But I think that being in a new state, essentially, where my husband and I had really not had time to establish a support network. We didn't have any family and friends around. We were then both isolated, you know, by the pandemic, both working as essential workers (laughs) because my husband also works in healthcare and it, and then I was pregnant on top of it. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just this, perfect storm to just really knock me off my feet and be like, I had another moment in my career was like, do I really, really want to be doing this? Yeah. (laughs) And should I step away and find a different career? Um, 
And that was so difficult for me. It was such a big turning point. And when I came back from my maternity leave, I just did not have the village that they talk about that you need. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't get the support that I needed from the system. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that they could have provided it because everyone was kind of still in that pandemic mode. Yeah. And at that point, I just, I really had to make a decision that I didn't want to continue teaching at the university level, which was a weird thing for me to decide because I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that I didn't think I could continue working in a place where I didn't have a support network, no matter how much I loved my job. And so at that point in time, my husband and I had a lot of, a lot of heart to hearts and we made the decision we needed to move closer to family and friends. Yeah. And he decided to find a job that was back home for us. And he found a job that he wanted to do. And I was looking and I was so frustrated by all of the red tape <laughs> that mm -hmm. comes with working in a facility that I just decided I'm going to open my own private practice. And then immediately I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I'm not prepared. I don't know how I don't have a business background. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so I had another moment where I was like major imposter syndrome of like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. And um, thankfully, I decided that my drive was stronger than my fear. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> um, and I did end up moving forward with it. But it has been such a weird learning experience and so uniquely rewarding more so than any of my other positions. And I'm really happy about the fact that I decided to make that decision, but it is a weird career path trajectory given what I initially thought I would be doing and also the fact that I am so medical minded, like I feel like a lot of us don't think I'm going to go into private practice. Yes. Yes. If I can give you any advice, Ashley, it's that nobody truly knows what they're doing in the world of business. And you just have to lean on mentors and other people that have done it. Like, you know, I had no idea what I was getting into with starting a podcast. I had no idea what I was getting into with starting the collective. I had no idea what I was doing when I got into medical education, but it's just, I, you know, I've just leaned into mentors that have been there and, you know, have done it quicker and faster. And just, you're really, you know, I, I, I think sometimes I, I, I don't like how people give the term mentor like a bad rap because they're so valuable but you're really just learning from like years of their mistakes condensed mm -hmm. down really quickly. So that's just 
the only advice I can give is to just lean into people that have, have been there and done it because yeah, I mean, at heart, you know, people will say, well, you're a business owner. I'm like, no, I'm an SLP, but it's, we, it's, it's definitely weird, you know, because some days I am an SLP and some days I'm a business owner and it's it's Mm -hmm. a, it's definitely an interesting dynamic. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I've been so grateful to have some good mentors that have been helping me through the whole process, but even with good mentors, I'm learning that, despite having these really great mentors who give you tons of great information, what I'm also learning is that each individual company that you form or business has all these intricacies and problems that are unique and specific to that particular company that maybe people would do differently or haven't run into. And then it's a lot of also independent problem solving, which is very different from just working for another company where you don't have to make those decisions or solve those problems. And I think the one thing I really didn't quite fully understand until I was in it was just how many hats a solo private practice speech language pathologist has to wear. You're doing the treatment, you're doing the billing, you're doing the administration, you're doing the intake calls, you're doing the health insurance verification. Uh, And it it can just sometimes feel like you're doing a million and a half jobs all at once. Because you are. Yes. Yeah. Because you are. I know. I'll, Uh, I'll have conversations with my husband, like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I do you realize how many decisions I had to make today? That This is not going to be one of them. Like, just pick some. I will eat anything at this point. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, it's, yeah. my husband and I often have conversations where he's like, I watch you do your work and you're so brilliant and you talk about all these things and you've got all these, you know, great things to say. And then you come home and you're like a potato. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's it. because I've used all of my brain power for the day yes. doing all of these things for work, and yes. I just don't have anything left to give then. Yeah, um, I, I will say, I was I, like, I am just a shell of a human right now. I will eat whatever you want to make. I, if you don't want to make anything, I will eat a can of tuna fish. Like, I'm not making a single decision for the rest of the night. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And And it's so weird because even though I am doing all of these things and sometimes it can be really, really overwhelming, it also has allowed me to find a way better work-life balance and be way more flexible in my time and ability to be a better mom and wife and friend and clinician because I'm better about taking care of myself, which so it's, it's kind of like you get both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I, I love that for you, actually. I, yeah. Any, anybody that decides to have kids and become a mom or a dad, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I love that for you that you've, you've found that because I know, I know for a while you were really struggling there during the, the pandemic, which, you know, a lot of people were, but it's, it's, it's so tough. Yeah. So as far as getting started with my private practice, I really had to decide whether I was going to go private pay versus taking insurance. And with the 
particular specialty areas that I have, going private pay alone was not really an option just because I do see people that are Medicare age. And so I legally have to take Medicare. And most of the individuals in the area that I'm treating want to use their insurance. However, I have run into a number of different current issues with insurance credentialing and contracting that I know that I'm not alone in these issues. I've talked to many other private practitioners that are having very similar issues with the credentialing and contracting process. And it's, it's, I've also contacted the ASHA advocacy team Mm -hmm. and they're aware of the issue. And I think it's an area where we as speech language pathologists need to get more involved in our state um, advocacy groups and really do a lot of lobbying for because it really impacts our patient care. But what a lot of speech language pathologists who are not in private practice probably don't know is that many of the commercial insurance companies currently have what are called closed credentialing panels for speech language pathologists, which means that they're not accepting any more speech language pathologists into their network. So if you try to apply and get credentialed or contracted with them, they just say, no, we're at capacity for speech language pathologists and we don't need any more, which to me blows my mind. Uh, Having worked in places that have wait lists that are just a mile months out. And I even went so far as I was like, okay, I'm going to appeal this process. I'm going to put together all of the numbers and I'm going to write up this really intricate report. I'm going to appeal the process. So I ran my numbers just for, for Florida, right? The state where I currently live. And according to the state of Florida census 2020, the total population of the state is 21,538,187 with individuals 18 years and older accounting for 12,336,038 of those individuals. We know that one out of every 13 adults experiences a voice disorder annually, meaning approximately 948 1,926 adults in Florida alone will experience a voice disorder every year. 66.5% of those individuals have private health insurance as of 2020, which allows us to estimate that approximately 631,035 individuals in the state of Florida with private insurance will require intervention for dysphonia. Now, according to ASHA ProFind, the number of certified speech-language pathologists currently accepting referrals in the specialty area of voice and upper airway disorders is 143. (sighs) This means that if these 143 speech-language pathologists could see all of the people in a year that needed services for dysphonia, they would need to see approximately 4,412 people in one year, just with dysphonia alone, who had private insurance. That's not to work, Ashley. Get to work. (laughs) Oh my God. That's mad. I know. It's absolutely maddening. Absolutely maddening. 
Yeah. So even though the numbers show that there's not enough speech language pathologists to treat the number of patients that experience those problems, the private insurance companies do not have an appeals process to reopen their closed credential panels. So when you ask them who to appeal to, they cannot tell you. Oh my gosh. And so I've been through phone tree after phone tree, <laughs> trying to get to someone who can redirect me to someone that I can speak to about this. Yeah. And I get the same answer almost every time, which is we have a closed panel. We don't know who's in charge. And so that is a huge problem for not only speech language pathologists who are going out into private practice, trying to provide services for these patients, but for patients to be able to find a speech language pathologist, particularly someone who has a specialty area who may not be able to get in network. Yeah. Do you, do you, have you heard of the, um, this company? I don't even know if they know that I'm a user of them. Like this is totally unscripted off the cuff, not sponsored. None of that. Have you ever heard of the company Reimbursify? No. I'm okay, so check it out because what we ended up doing for my son is because his two of his therapists are out of network and we're not able to get in network with our insurance. We pay them privately and then this Reimbursify company goes and submits it to insurance and they collect mm-hmm. the money and send it back to us. So it's so convoluted and weird and annoying. We put the money out, but we get it back. But it's so crazy that this third party can go and collect the money from insurance, but the therapist can't become providers and collect the money themselves. So I don't know that that's the answer to, obviously there's a million problems with this whole thing, but that's been a temporary solution that has worked for us for today. Uh, So if if anybody needs to figure out something today, that that's an option. I think whatever reimbursify is doing, I think is a phenomenal service. It totally sucks that they have to exist for pardon my French. It stinks. They have to exist in order for this to happen, but I, I commend them for being that way. (laughs) So, yeah. And I know a lot of speech language pathologists who are in private practice and running into this issue, including myself, will do things like offer super bills, which can be submitted to re uh, you know, to get reimbursement if the patient pays up front, but it just, it's just adding additional barriers for these patients who already probably have a lot of barriers to receiving treatment. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that I just, I, I didn't really understand until I opened my private practice because although I did billing in some of my other jobs as far as just like submitting, you know, a CPT code or something like that, I really didn't have my hands fully in it until I was doing this work on my own. Um, and it just, it's so strange to me that the insurance companies would, would not even know who's in charge of opening and closing the panels, but that seems to be the answer that I get most frequently. And it's just so unfortunate for these people who are seeking out these services that want to work with a specific provider 
you know, that want a very specific service and they just are not able to receive it because of insurance limitations. Yeah. Okay. Well, we gave the people some wine. How about some cheese? What are the benefits of owning your private practice, Ashley? Yeah. So I have had so many things happen that have been so incredibly um, beneficial and positive from owning my own private practice. I, I mentioned earlier, I have so much flexibility and freedom now to create my own schedule and to choose the types of patients I want to see. And not only the types of patients that I want to see, but where I get to see them. So I'm not constrained to just the clinic setting. And for example, if I am seeing a patient for singing voice rehabilitation, I can see see them at their performance venue. Or if I am seeing an athlete for paradoxical vocal fold motion, I can see them on their soccer pitch or in their swimming pool. And this allows me to provide so much more um, functional and meaningful services to these patients kind of in their own environment. And that has been a really great benefit for me. I also find that in owning my own private practice, I now have the ability to choose to immediately implement new and emerging evidence-based practices without having to go through a long process of protocols and procedures and red tape to kind of get something okayed by the administration in order to implement. And so I'm able to trial these things that I feel might actually prevent, um, provide the best outcomes for my patients without having to get a gold star or a thumbs up from administration before I can administer them. There's a lot of flexibility to take time off for taking care of my own self. So if I have appointments or childcare falls through, or if I want to take an entire week off for the holidays, um, or if I just want to take personal time for a day, or do CEUs or do other unique presentations um, without, you know, having to worry about, am I going to have coverage? Do I need to, do I have enough PTO? Oh my goodness. Am I going to have childcare? Like all of these other things that I had to worry about when I was working at other settings. I just don't have to worry about that now because I'm in charge of it. And I, that's really empowering and has allowed me to do a lot of things that I just wouldn't have been able to do before. Um, For example, this upcoming summer, I was invited to go speak at the International Ventriloquy Convention on vocal health and hygiene. And, you know, prior to that, I would have had to been like, I'm going to have to take my vacation time and use my vacation time to go do that. And and now I'm like, I'm just going to go do it because I can. And that's been really cool and empowering. And I can use more of my work time for opportunities for growth and learning. So I can set aside time to do really in-depth chart reviews or read current literature or attend journal clubs and webinars or, you know, participate in other types of continual learning opportunities during my work schedule instead of having to do it outside because I pay me, you know, and I can decide how I use that, that time. And then I think the biggest benefit that I have 
seen from my private practice is that I'm actually able to pay myself a wage that I feel is actually my worth for my skills, knowledge, and experience and not feel bad about it. And I'm able to see fewer patients and still make a livable wage and have the extra time to do other things. Yeah. I love that for you, Ashley. I I know we had talked, it was even a few months ago and we both were talking about taking like a half a day to take our daughters to the park or something. And both of us were like, that seems so weird. And it's like, but we're, why is that like, why is that so weird? You know, why are we conditioned that we're just so committed to our jobs that we can't just take an afternoon to take our daughters to the park. You know, it's, it's so sad when you look at it in the grand scheme of things. So I love that you're, you're starting to experience that. And it's, it's, it's such an interesting dichotomy as a business owner, because you're like, yeah, yeah, I have all this flexibility, but then you're like, well, but crap, if I'm not working, it's all, it's all, it's my fault, you know? So it's definitely a really, really, really tough balance and and there's no right or wrong answer. And it's just whatever aligns with you. And I have, you know, I have so much respect for those parents that do make those boundaries and do force those boundaries and force themselves to take, you know, a day, an afternoon off to take their kids to the park. So it's, it, it is tough, but I love that you're, that you're learning to experience that. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting in that I counsel the caregivers of my patients all the time to do something for themselves, to take time for themselves, to make sure they're eating well and, and sleeping well. And, you know, all of those things, because, you know, if you can't care for yourself, you can't care for others, but oh my goodness, are we so bad about doing that as a field? (laughs) And, and, and me personally, I am so bad about doing that. Or at least I, I feel like I was, I, I feel like I'm improving on that quite a bit. And I feel like this has allowed me to start to find that more for myself, which I think in turn makes me a better clinician or I hope it does. Yeah. <laughs> and that has been a really big shift for my mental health and just my anxiety levels and also you know the feelings of burnout that I was feeling before. I'm not feeling as much anymore. Um I'm feeling a lot more um like what I'm doing is is worth it. Good. Awesome. Awesome. And mental health is, there's nothing that is more important than that. So <laughs> you're not, yeah. If you can't pour into yourself, you can't pour into your patients and your family. So yeah, I, I love that for you. Um, God, we covered so many different topics here. Actually, I love this. Is there anything, anything else we didn't cover? Anything else you want to share with the people? I just, like I guess I've, I've loved chatting with you. I've just loved watching your whole journey unfold and, and you're so brilliant in so many aspects of this field. And I just, they get so commendable and so respectable. And yeah, if, if anybody is in the collective or not in the collective, actually such a wonderful resource for so many different things. So I'm so glad you joined oh. us. So yeah, I asked I, if I'm very final happy. thoughts and then I went on a tip. So do you have any final thoughts? Ash? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm very humbled by that. So thank you. But um, I, I think that my, my final thought would just be to keep yourself open to areas of the field and thinking outside the box because I feel like so many of us go in with just this very kind of in the box 
type goal of we have to do it this way or it doesn't work. And there's, there's just so much flexibility in our field. And I, I kind of hope that somebody will find the courage to get over their fear to explore a different opportunity. Um, if they've been kind of on the fence about that, because it's a lot of work, but it's really, really can be an opportunity for a lot of growth and learning and just positive outcomes. So I hope if people take nothing else away from this, that they, they take that away. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I just want to add to, you know, we, we talked a little bit about mental health and, and being a mom in this field, being a parent, I think you have to do what is best for your mental health and for your family in the season that you're in. And I think, you know, I, I took a lot of heat for some things that I've done in my career over the last few years, but people don't know the behind the scenes of why I did that because it was what I had to do for my family. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I want to encourage people to do what works for your family and just know that sometimes it might be a season, um, you know, kids are growing up and, and the season that you're in might only be for a few years and then you can go back to doing something different. But yeah, you know, if this is a field that you're so passionate about, which, you know, for both of us, it very much is do what you can do to contribute to the field while doing what works for you and your family and your mental health. And it doesn't, you don't owe an explanation to anybody about why you're doing that. That conversation is between you and your family. So um, I'm so proud of you, Ashley. I, I, yeah, I, I just, I still remember how, you know, this doesn't sound right, but how badly you were struggling, you know, with your daughter right after, right after you went back to work from maternity leave. And it was, my heart was, yeah. like, I know that was just awful and brutal. And so I commend you for taking the step towards doing what, what you thought was best for you in your situation. And I, I know you're going to be wildly successful at it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. Appreciate you too. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.